listening to you speak this morning was both inspirational and a kind of opening up of yourself. Mm-hmm. I think you lay yourself open. You tell the truth as it is. As I see it. Yeah. As you see it. Does that polemic, it obviously comes from the heart. Mm-hmm. So what drives those ideas? What's brought you to that point? I mean, I've always been passionate about what I do. Uh, as a kid, I was lucky enough to uh, sing. <laughs> um, I sang in uh, Bangor Cathedral Choir, which was a very sissy thing to do, but uh, I loved the music. And uh, that music was actually inspirational, you know, singing Bach in a beautiful building or singing Mozart or singing Handel or Purcell and in a group. And uh, I was lucky enough to be chosen to sing in different cathedrals in, uh, in the UK. I sang in Canterbury Cathedral, in Bath Abbey, in Worcester. And there you were, I'm not a religious person, I wasn't even as a kid, but there you were feeling all these chills going down your spine Mm. uh, in these beautiful spaces, and you were actually um, making music with other people. And so that was, that certainly brought out something that was obviously there. Mm. Um, I come from Wales, I'm proud of it. I come from... um, Bethesda originally. I went to Bethesda school. Uh, This is one thing I think that I do have in common with Philip, and we used to talk about this quite a bit. Because we come from, you know, a culture which has been shat on, Mm. um, we have a certain way of looking at things which is different, you know. And you, you, you tend to be able to understand the position of people who are also disadvantaged in, in some ways and be more open to that. Now, it's also a question of personality, I guess. Um, I am passionate about what I do. Um, and that is an incredibly privileged situation to be in. I'm 52 years old. Mm. I got into photography in my mid-twenties. Look, what, was the dr- what was the drive to push you into photography? Travel. Okay. Okay, because I used to, I mean, I did loads of different jobs. I've worked as, you know, in a chemical laboratory. I've worked uh, as a joiner. I worked as an electrician. And I started doing lights for uh, gigs and for theatre. You know, I was a, a light tech. And I, I used to climb as a kid, so I was very happy doing, you know, rigging and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I'd save money. And then I'd fuck off to Africa and South America. And I basically just wanted to do a job which allowed me to travel. I got into the photography while I was traveling because it meant that it was an excuse to um, be more curious. Yes. To, to talk with people and say, well, listen, actually, I'm taking photographs. That's why I'm curious. Yeah. Um, is it okay if I hang around and do my thing? Yeah. Um, and so it was, that was, you know, the initial thing. And then I kind of... Um, once I decided that's what I wanted to do, I was kind of politically inclined and everything. Um, I went off to Nicaragua. I picked up some press passes from Camera Press. I went up to Sesta Region, where the Contra were. I took some photos up there, and then I went down to Managua, 
I went to Agencia Nueva Nicaragua, which was the Sandinista press agency, and I said, well, listen, you know, I can be in places in your country that y you find it difficult to be in. Are you going to hire me? And they said, yeah. You know, he's a dumb kid. So my, I, I was getting $150 for risking my life. Um, and then there were the elections soon after that. And because I was working for Nueva Nicaragua, I was in a privileged situation. I was right up with Daniel Ortega. I'm embarrassed about it now. I mean, he seemed like to be a good guy at the time. He turned out as a bastard. But um, it was a really privileged situation. I was shooting with 28 mils, 24 mils, and the rest of the press guys were, you know, 40 meters away, you know, and I was right up close. So... When you travel, languages can always be about, you know, you're a linguist. I mean, you... Well, not really. No. I mean, I pick up, like, because of the music and because ah, I was brought yeah. up with three languages, yes. I have a distinct advantage yes. in learning new languages yeah. or picking up enough to survive. Yeah. Because um, music, you know, it, it, it does make you use these two yes. things on the side of your head. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. And... Um, so I wouldn't describe myself as a linguist, no. <laughs> but um, when you were in Nicaragua, mm. you um, you made friends. Yeah. And those friendships have lasted a long time and they're reflected in your photography because you're still photographing some of those. Well, less Nicaragua. I haven't been back no? to Nicaragua. No. I haven't been back to Nicaragua. I mean, part of it was like the whole disappointment of where, you know, the Sandinistas went. Um, yes. Actually... Even when I was in Central America, I found what was happening in El Salvador much more interesting because the FMLN didn't just get power easy. It, mm. it, it was, uh, it was uh, a longer process mm. and there, there was more discussion within the groups, etc. And um, no, my first major project on uh, social documentary, I guess. It was the Albania oh, yeah. project. Yeah. And with those people, yes, I've kept in contact. I yes. mean, the little picture of the baby, Michele. Yeah. Um, there's a whole load of stuff involved in blood feuds and that. Um, and so I sponsored for Michele to come over to Italy because his ah, family had been okay. in a blood feud and I wanted to get the kid out because right. otherwise he'd have been a target. And I, I, I followed him through and I, I've kept in contact with several of the families. Right. So. How, is, how is, um, has the situation changed in the area that you were photographing and the people you photographed? Well, I mean, it, it's a process which has happened all over. Um, most of those communities have almost disappeared. Um, during the um, communist regime, Enver Hoxha's regime in Albania, you couldn't just live where you wanted to. Mm. You had to live in certain areas. Mm. And these particular people, being Catholics, they had been uh, particularly, um, how do you say, uh, targets of the regime. They weren't trusted by the regime. And it was almost like they were in an internal exile. Yeah. And so they couldn't move from those communities. And these communities are in ma uh, around several mountains. Yes. And there is the access is very difficult. I mean, the trucks would get up to three hours walk mm. and then it's mule trucks, you know. So 
obviously these people don't want to hang around in these places, especially the youth. When things started, you know, opening up, they they wanted to move. I mean, I I left North Wales as a kid of eighteen yes. because I wanted to see the big wide wor world. Yes. I mean, imagine being stuck up up on the yes. mountain in in Albania. You know? So I, I was really interesting looking at some of those uh, some some of those photographs from Albania because um, I can actually relate to some of those photographs. Because not that I've ever been to Albania, but hmm. I was looking um, uh, at photographs that were taken uh, during the 50s in North Pembrokeshire yeah. and all these people dressed in black they are locked into um, the Christianity of that area it's a mm. small area of Pembrokeshire mm. but the devotion you see in their faces mm. and in the way they they live and dress is mm. remarkable really and, mm. uh, I, I, and I suppose I don't know. Um, it was like like going to Nepal and you see things as they were. Yeah. And you, it's like moving back in time almost. Well, yeah. Yeah, I found that. I mean, I, I, I did mention in my talk this morning that uh, there was very little kind of unpoliticized reading material yes. to be had. And one of the books that I found was by um, one of these Edwardian, Victorian uh, Edwardian traveling ladies, a, a, a lady called Edith Durham. Oh, yes. And she traveled a lot in these areas yeah. and uh, wrote a book about it, High Albania. Yeah. I managed to find a copy of this book and I obviously read it. And it was remarkable how much stuff hadn't changed in almost 100 years. Yeah. And one of, the, one of the chapters of that book was called The Land of the Living Past. Right. Now, that was said 100 years ago. Yeah. And my, that project, I initially called it The Land of the Living Past, taking yeah. that title. Yeah. Because it was, for me, um, you know, a step back into time. I mean, it's horrible to use these, you know, catchy phrases, yeah. but it was almost like a human Jurassic Park, you know. <laughs> What, what was fascinating was th these people had been isolated not only for the 50 years of the Hoxha regime. They'd been isolated for five centuries previous to that because they'd been a Catholic enclave mm. in the Ottoman Empire. Mm. And the Ottomans had kind of decided, okay, we're not going to get much money out of these people. You know, they're poor as shit and, mm. uh, you know, they can't pay taxes. So the agreement they had was these people can actually... Um, govern themselves and the only thing they have to do is give us troops to fight the Serbs Albanians and Serbs like killing each other, they have done for centuries so the Albanians were kind of happy and they had this um, oral code which would pass orally from generation to generation which governs it's called the Kanun of Lek Tukhajin Lek Tukhajin was a kind of a, a, a rebel leader against the uh, Ottomans. But actually, the, the, this code, this canon, this canon, mm. probably started out much earlier, even in antiquity, and obviously developed over time, mm. yeah, because laws develop in all communities and all uh, cultures. Mm. But they were using this uh, to govern everything from distribution of land, water, which is fundamental, obviously, in, you know, mm. agricultural communities, marriages, uh, also this thing about the, um, the, the faida, the, the, the feuds. Now, when the Hoxha regime collapsed, there was a kind of 
an empty space of uh, power. Yeah, there was like, um, it, you know, it was a free-for-all. And these people went back to the Kanun, which had been suppressed during Hodges' time, as, you know, something to cling on to. Mm. So it was almost like a rediscovery of their roots and using it again. And it was obviously not working for this day and age. Yeah. Um, so there was a lot of conflict there. But that was an incredibly interesting thing to see how people were coming to terms with, oh shit, we're going to have to uh, develop mm. our own way, our own culture in a very short period of time to make sense. Yeah. yeah? yeah. And there are not that many places where you can see that in the no, world. Indeed. So it was a hugely privileged situation to be in. Yeah. And it took me a while actually to realize that. And I'd go back to these communities and they would appreciate that. And after a time, it wasn't just because I was giving them free photos of all their weddings and funerals and stuff, you know. They realized that what I was doing was important for their culture as well. I yes. was documenting a particular time um but it was important for them and that meant and they trusted me and that meant i was in a hugely privileged situation um, um it was interesting when in your talk you said that you were curious about them and they were curious about you yeah what yeah. was their curiosity about you what did they want to know about you well i was the first westerner to be in that area since the second world war hmm. and and so you know what had happened at the end of the Hoxha regime, Hoxha died and then there was uh, another guy who took over, they started kind of opening up slightly. They started watching Italian TV. And it was incredible because you had these people who had learned Italian only from watching TV. God, and, and their Italian was good. Yeah. They, I mean, you know, it, it, TV actually works for <laughs> learning a language. So their kind of perspective of what life was like in the West was Italian TV. Now, I don't know how much you've, Italian TV you've seen, but I'm not saying it's quite as bad as Brazilian soap operas, but I mean, it's, <laughs> th there is a lot of imagination there. So they were th thinking, you know, this is, yeah. for that, wow, that's what life is like there. And obviously it isn't. You yeah, know? Yeah. So they were interested also in seeing somebody who... You know, I, I when I got back from Central America, I still had more or less my political views. I mean, they had varied quite a bit because actually working for a regime, you, you, you see stuff happening and you're thinking, oh. I, you know, I was still saying, well, what was the problem with corporatization yeah. and stuff? And then they were giving me this stuff. And, and so we often had a lot of pretty heavy discussions, you know. Yeah. But there as mountain communities everywhere in the world, they, they have this strong sense of hospitality. Yes. So I was safe, yes. you know. I, there, there were silly things like, you know, when, when I'm given a, a glass of uh, vodka or something, my, my, my background is to drop it all. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> I didn't realize that they want you to leave a little bit because if you drop it all, means you want more. 
And I was saying, no, no, no. And they were saying, oh, he's a really good guy, you know, he's showing that. Yeah. <laughs> and so sometimes we get so pissed. And so obviously the arguments would get quite animated. And sometimes, you know, people would be shooting pistols into the ceiling and stuff. <laughs> but, you know, they, they were discussions coming from the heart, open, with mutual respect. Yes. And um, a lot of these people then turned up in Italy they didn't ask me to help them they would turn up work out their own lives and then contact me right okay and then i'd go and visit these people living in italy um and the albanians for a certain period didn't have a great reputation i mean some people did get involved in gun running drugs trafficking and everything because when you have old traditions oral traditions that come to the fore again after a long period of not being used. Some people do exploit them and use them, as, for example, in Sicily, Cosa Nostra, which mm. comes from old tradition, mm. to, to, to you know, further their own ends. Uh, most of the families I met weren't on that kind of plane, but uh, some of them were. But I still, I still had a situation of respect for these people because their idea of allegiance is the family. It's a clan uh, culture. Mm -hmm. So they don't really recognize power from above. Um, they're, they're hugely uh, respectful of their clan, and they wouldn't do anything to harm that clan, but people outside that clan don't have the same respect in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. It's apparent from your work that you're um, a huge fan of human beings, really. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I still am. You know, and I, I'm. Maybe I'm just stupid, but I still find myself loving humanity. Yes. Yes. You know, I, and I've seen some shit. Yeah. I've seen some shit. China is an interesting project of yours, um, uh, and again, uh, yeah. cultural and language barriers, and having mm -hmm. to. Uh, we're living in an age now where it's smash and grab photography almost, and you, you are kind of almost. Apart from that, because mm -hmm. you work long t on long-term projects, I, I, your and and your bread, but your but the beauty of the long-term project is that his, it has balls. It it has it has it has spirit. You talked about spiritual things this morning, mm. and you said you're not sort of um, particularly religious, mm -hmm. but the spiritual is obviously important to you. Yeah. Yeah. When you went to, uh, to China, how quickly did you pick up a camera and start shooting? Or was it just uh, getting to know people, first of all? Um, well, in, in Albania, you know, there, there was the language, there was Italian. And I, uh, Albanian is a very different language. But, um, you know, I picked up qu quite quickly some. Uh, in China, the language is so different. Even that musical element doesn't really help you. Mm. Um, so... I mean, I, I've spent now altogether maybe three years of my life in China, so I can get by in Mandarin, which is the kind of the official language. Mm. But I was working on minorities, and, and these people had their own languages, etc. Mm. I was working with people always to interpret. And the strange thing in China was that I found it an advantage not being able to speak the language often. Okay. Because there, if I had been speaking the language, it would have required even more time 
to uh, enter all these communities. So I was working with anthropologists, uh, with uh, Chinese photographers or filmmakers mm. who'd been working on these subjects for a long period. Mm. So I was kind of, you know, the strange white guy who's hanging around in the background. Um, but it was, uh, again, a privileged situation because I was not having to entertain in some ways. So I could sit back and then slowly I'd start using the cameras. Mm. You know, people kind of, it is a question of how you are. You know, if you, if you, if you come on strong to somebody, uh, they're going to notice you. Yeah. If you kind of sat more or less and you move with ease mm. people don't notice you and you know I w i'm not using i wasn't using big mm. slrs i was using small cameras yeah. with silent yeah. and so yeah um so china is in some ways was being involved but with a distance a bigger distance right. also because i was traveling in many peripheral areas yeah uh, western china northwestern china xinjiang uh, Tibetan areas, um, Qinghai and Gansu, Sichuan, Yunnan, Guizhou, all, all these different areas where there are minorities. You know, there's no way I could learn all those languages. No. So well, I was using my Chinese colleagues and I was, yeah. you know. Yeah, you talked a lot about collaborative and working with filmmakers and with writers, mm. um, etc. How important is that to you? As a, as oh, incredibly. A uh, because, I mean, photography... As you know, as everybody who does photography, it is a very lonely business. Yeah. You know, you, you, you're out there with the camera and you're, you know, you're in your own world. Mm. So that's fine. I love that. But if you're, you know, on a trip for three months, I mean, you can get depressed. Kind of, you know, <laughs> I like people, so I like being around them. So actually working with... Uh, people, other colleagues as well, photographers, but um, with people in d different media is important because, well, you can, perhaps they've been working on the subject for a long time mm -hmm. and they can give you the background to mechanisms which would take you a lot longer to understand. Mm. Okay, it's their take. Mm. So you'll have one guy who thinks in one way, meet another guy who thinks in a different way, and then you read between the lines someplace. Yeah, yeah? Yeah, and yeah. and from your own observation, which it which is only visual, mm. then you know feel where where it's going. Yeah. Um, and then that that was one of the projects in China. The other project was the inland uh, migration, the internal migration. Yeah. And again. I was working with universities, Beijing University of Social Sciences, uh, uh, different people, academics and filmmakers, etc. And so, you know, again, I like reading stuff. I yeah. do yes. like reading to know what I'm doing. But having the human contact of people who'd actually written those books is even better. <laughs> Absolutely, know? yes, yeah. Because yeah. the anthrop anthropological side of things is uh, really fascinating. I mean, you may I sort of trawl through Fraser's Golden Bow occasionally to have a look at uh, what was going on and how his mind worked, which was mm. very strange in some respects. But uh, you learn an awful lot about cultures, and it, it, it almost is um, a spark to make you want to go to some of these places. Is that Does that happen to you with your readings? Um, 
or did you did you specifically say? I mean, how did Albania happen in your head? Well, Albania happened because I came back from Central America, and you know the wall had come down, and, and the last was, place to change was yeah, Albania. I, as a mm. child, I was lucky enough to live for periods in Greece and for periods in Western Germany, and I remember visiting the uh, the Iron Curtain and a ki- as a kid of fourteen. And it was on a river called the River Elba, mm. uh, in an area called the Lunebergheide. Mm. And there, there were two bridges, and I still have a very distinct image in my head. They'd been bombed at the end of the Second World War. One was a railway, and one was a road bridge. And they'd more or less in the same situation as after they'd been bombed. And then on the other side of the river, you had this massive iron curtain yeah. with towers every kilometer and then a kind of a mine pier area and then a place where they'd have roads with dogs. And somehow I thought that would always be there. Mm. You know, I, I, I just couldn't imagine it'd been there all my life up to then. Mm. And however old you are, you know, your life seems like a long time, even yeah. at 14. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the shock of it actually coming down when I was 28, 29, I can't yeah. remember, was big. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it all gone and I'd been stuck in the wrong place kind of thing, you know, well, from that perspective. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's why Albania happened. I, I've, 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 traveled a lot. I, I, I covered Armenia, Azerbaijan conflict, then Gorakarabakh uh, right. in 93. Um, lots of different places. For my personal project, what happens is I start something yeah. and I get to a point where either my curiosity is satisfied or it isn't. You know, um, So what 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 I need is that oh shit this is giving more, me more questions rather than answers. Mm. As long as there are questions there, then I'll carry on with it. Yeah. And you you do have to at a certain point say stop. Yeah, I have to get on to something else. Mm. But that's why I was talking today about working on several projects contemporarily. Yeah. Because you know, it, it can become quite <sighs> channel. Yes. Yeah, vision and the rest of it. If you're working on several projects at the same time, mm. it's like you, you get energy from one, then you move on to the other. And, mm. it, you know, and, and what is important is this cycle of stuff. Yeah. And, and that's also true from a commercial side. I mean, once upon a time, I would sell much more to magazines. Now, why should I give a magazine uh, work of years to be paid for a lot less than what it's cost me to do that work. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately it seems to go to a more restricted kind of yeah. channel, you know, it's the art scene and all this crap. Yeah. Um, and, but you can get the work out anyway, you know, you, you can show the work anyway. Yeah. Um, but in order to make it viable, I mean, my, my thing is make, you know, I, had, I, I started out with a pot of money uh, I did one project, which had to make enough, or two projects, and it had to make enough money to s- then do the next. Yeah. You know, it's it, it's producing stuff so that you can produce stuff. So, yeah. Whereas the art world kind of works more and more in, we've got money, invest the money in the art to make more money. Yeah. Are you a grant seeker? Um, well, I've had grants in the past. I, I you know, if yeah, people want to give me money, that's <laughs> yeah. fine. Um, if they're interested in what I'm doing, yeah, sure, why yeah. not? You know, I mean, I, I've never entered uh, competitions. I've never entered in, you know, awards and stuff like that. 
maybe that's you know the final bit of being a, a little bit of a rebel you know what why work with the institution absolutely you know, yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I, i'm doing my own thing and screw um, them i can yeah. i can carry on doing it you know uh, now, philip george famously said that you were um a poet with a camera oh uh, yeah well philip came out with some <laughs> With some classics, I mean, he was a lovely man. Uh, yeah, yeah, he called me a Welsh poet with a camera. Welsh poet, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> great honour. Uh, was he a ment- uh, Was he a great mentor of yours? Yeah, yeah, I didn't know about him. I didn't know about him when I started. You know, I went right. to Central America and knew fuck all about photography, really. Yeah, I knew about the technical stuff, and then I landed up with these photographers who were very good photographers at the period, and because Nicaragua and El Salvador were in that period, kind of covered by the medium yes and they were the ones who were telling me have you heard about this guy and this guy and then some guy told me uh, i think it was bill gentile he was a, a newsweek photographer a guy from the states he said have you not heard about philip jones griffiths i said who you know and then when i got back to europe i had all this access because then there wasn't internet and stuff you no, couldn't no. just you no, know no. google stuff yeah i found out about this guy I was like, oh wow yeah. so it took me a while, but somebody came up with some money in Italy to do a book on China. And they said, who are the people that you really like? And I was saying Philip Jones Griffiths, and I'd never met him or anything. I knew about his work at that time, you know. But uh, I actually wrote to him saying, Philip, I'm this guy from, and this is the work I'm doing, of something prints and stuff, and would you please consider... <laughs> writing an introduction to this book and he got back and he was so nice yeah. and then he came out with this stuff and then i first met philip after that book had been published i was sh- it showed in the national well what is photo gallery today yeah but it was part of the national museum and then it went to several large festivals uh, rome uh, pingyao in china yeah. And then I like showing work in alternative places. And I had these mates who had this thing called the Sangoslen Fringe. And it was like a, a nice setup, you know, and they were good guys. Um, so I showed this work there. And who turns up but Philip Jones Griffiths? Whoa. And, you know, I was, whoa. Mm. And then we spent two or three days together mm. traveling around areas. He'd hired a car, traveling around areas around <laughs> Trithlan and the, And he was... You know, I, I've got shivers down my spine thinking about it. And I, I love that man. He, he he was a real humanist. I know he w- he could be a pain in the ass. He was, you know, very strong in mm. his opinions and and sometimes kind of restricted in some of his ideas. But he was a fantastic human being. Yes. Um, and he was inspirational for a whole lot of people. He actually helped a lot of young photographers. Yeah. Um, and God bless him. He uh, so, big man. Uh, um, big man. A, a very big man. I, I, um, I went to see his exhibition here in Aberystwyth. It was and, lovely. And it was yeah. a beautiful exhibition. And mm. what, um, what moved me more than anything, really, was uh, the work he did in Liverpool and those areas. And uh, that, that work was just sublime. It actually makes me, it actually made me, well, t- not tearful, but quite yeah. emotional, yeah. you know, about, yeah. um, because he, it's that gift of being... Well, he had a natural eye. That a, man a, a had gift, a natural yeah. eye. He yeah. was, you know, a born photographer. Yeah. I don't think I am. I, I kind of developed over time, but Philip w- had a natural eye, and he was interested in photography from a very young yeah. age. You yeah, know? do you look back on some of this early stuff you were doing now? Do, uh, I mean, 
Have you ever done, or are you thinking of doing a retrospective of uh, your work? Well, I guess, you know, I, I, I will sooner or later, but um, I'm still enjoying taking the images. So yeah. uh, I am quite disciplined in what I do, but I'm not hugely disciplined in keeping the material. Um, <laughs> Uh, and I don't like spending a whole lot of time in front of screens. Um, and uh, I'm still more interested in what I'm going to do next rather than what I've done in the past. I mean, I've got loads of projects which I've never published. Right. Can you talk about any of those? Are there anything standard? Well, well, yeah. You know, I've been living in Italy for a while in different areas of Italy, and mm. Italy is very famous for you know uh, different festivals and things. There yeah. was one image I showed today with this guy standing yes. on a cross with a megaphone. Yeah, uh, and it's uh, from a, a little festival near Bologna, Saracca, yeah. and it's a, you know. <laughs> religious festivals in Italy often take the piss as well you know <laughs> there, there's a whole lot going on of pre kind of Christian stuff yeah. you know and I, I like that you know they're, 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 they're ones down in Abruzzo where they have snakes and yeah, you know they, so they go around with a Madonna with snakes crawling all over it and, uh, yeah you know it's, it's really hugely theatrical and I, I used to do a lot of lighting for theatre I loved yeah. theatre so I like theatrics as well so that's work I've never even looked at yeah. You know, it's all there in negatives, and I've never, never looked at it. You know, I, I chose that one shot because I was thinking, yeah, I want one shot for which, has, and that came to mind, so I chose that one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it was really interesting that you, um, that your um, talk this morning was directed at the young people that was there. Yeah. How important is that passing on of? Hugely, hugely. Um, because. I, I did say today, I see photography as a language of reflection. Mm. And in an era uh, where there are so many distractions, I think it is good that people have an opportunity to reflect. Now, if you're thinking about the images you're taking, thinking about the images you're looking at, you're reflecting on it. Mm. And so, again, I mean, in, in a way, it's a bit this rebel thing. And I, 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 like, I like, you know, each generation will have new practitioners mm. who use the technology of coming up and they will use it better than you know old handers than me mm. so w what is important is that they get the their ideas of why they're doing it what it's for mm. clear to s from start with i'm not saying what you know it's only my way but i hope i believe that there are people who will want to approach photography from that side yeah. and not just be image producers, you know, yeah. uh, of, uh, of producing images for a market. That's not what I do. I, I, I do stuff slowly. And I, I think even in the future with modern technology, there will be people interested in doing it that way also. Yes. And I think it's useful. Yeah, yeah. Staying on that point, do you think that within the education system and lots of kids going to mm. study photography and study photojournalism and documentary mm. photography, uh, what do you think of that as a... Because you learned on the road. You went yeah. out and did it. Well, when I got back from Central America, I went down to Newport mm. because um, I was interested in, uh, in learning about stuff. And I went to see, I can't remember the name of the guy, but he was one of the 
and it was would have been in about 91, uh, one of the, the teachers there, and I showed him some of my work, and he said, Rodri, it's a two-year course, you can do it in one year if you want, but perfectly honest, forget it, just carry on doing what you're doing. And that was the best piece of advice I got. Mm. Then for years I thought, well, you know, who's teaching in these courses? It's people who can't really hack it in the real world. Um, that's not true. I don't believe that is true. Some people learn better in institutions. Some people learn better on the road. Mm. And so, you know, some people do need more guidance and some people don't work well under guidance. No. I was a shit student in yeah. Eskol Dufrenogan. I was yeah. one of the ones who... I hated school as well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I left Wales. I, I did two A-levels, I think it was. I uh, had a party that evening. I burnt all my books, something I which I'm ashamed of still. But uh, And the next day I was outside Austin Taylor's hitchhiking out of, you know. So some people do work well, uh, you know, it, through education. Others yeah. don't. Um, education, it has become more and more of an industry. It's a money spinner. Um, so not always is it designed for the students uh, sometimes I feel that is true mm. coming back to I mean you spent a long time in Italy coming mm. back to Wales and you uh, produced a book mm. uh, body of work about Wales yeah um, and you decided to do it in black and white yeah and uh, using triptychs and diptychs etc mm. which is a interesting way of working anyway mm. but um, how did you find coming back because presumably, uh, had you been visiting or? I had uh, been, I had been. I, I had a dark room which had been my old bedroom mm. in my parents' home. I mm. converted it. And there was a period when I was traveling a, a lot. I would be kind of two, three months in one place, fly back, develop stuff, uh, fly out, and then come back. Mm. Maybe two, three weeks at a time, I'd be mm. back in Wales. Um, and it, when I was back in Wales, I wasn't really in Wales, I was in a dark room. Yeah. And then I had yeah. a dark room in Italy as well, so it depended where I was going. Yeah, yeah. Coming back to a place, that, that is interesting, and it's something which I feel there's a lot of space to be researched uh, still, you know, mm. because, you know, if you think about it, people leaving up to after the Second World War, you know, they get a ship from Ireland or from Napoli, and, you know, it was a one-way trip to the States, Yeah. Mm. And now even the kids, you know, from who are not refugees, uh, migrants uh, who come from, I don't know, Burkina Faso or Mali in, in Italy, every two, three years they go home, you know. And mm. what I was interested in that project on Wales was how somebody going back home sees their place. Mm. Because I think there is a whole load of chemistry happening. Yes. Did you, uh, did you become very nostalgic? I... I, when I went to when I went to see the people down in Newport was after I come back. The real reason that I wanted to do uh, a course in Wales was because I wanted photograph in Wales, okay, yeah. and I wanted to do it before I became too nostalgic. I didn't want that nostalgia to kick in. I didn't manage to do the 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 the, the project until perhaps I started it maybe ten years later. But I'd been traveling all the time and I, I, I was, you know, I was getting older, but I wasn't into nostalgia at all. I actually, I still am not. Mm -hmm. But whether you like it or not, age does bring nostalgia. Yeah. Um, and you see, you know, 
your friends getting older and have kids and you're thinking, oh, Christ, and, and, and then your parents start going and all this kind of stuff. The, all that kind of stuff gives you yeah. nostalgia. You know, it, 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 it's like the magma yeah. which erupts in yeah. nostalgia and that happens to all human beings. So yeah. the, the, the project in Wales, I wanted to do it as uh, a fairly young man, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and I had to get it out of my system. Yeah. I had to get it out of my system because, you know, when you are a migrant, then you've always got this thing of, you know, in my old age, you might go go back or whatever. Um, And I thought it, I would get it out of my system by doing this project. Fifty-fifty, really. (laughs) Uh, Your hinterland projects and uh, the buildings, um, Mm. I I I actually found that really really fascinating and somebody brought it up in the in that there were no people in it Mm. and i think that's the key to that project is it well actually there are portraits i only showed the the the, the, the the landscapes there there, there were portraits done they set up portraits which something which i hadn't done i had to get into that because making money commercially you know business people and all that you know uh so there were portraits uh, there but no the the landscape itself I wanted it to be just the buildings, just the landscape, looked at almost clinically. Yeah, because there's not a bin in sight, is there? There's no rubbish in sight. Or, 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 from the ones I've seen. Yeah, you, yeah, you no, no, today. There, there are a few of those as well. But um, I was actually trying to photograph these, um, the, 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 these situations in as positive a light as I possibly could. Mm. My inspiration came from, you know, stuff done in the 70s in California, the Bechers, um, uh, the Dusseldorf School. But also inspiration came from Google Street View. Inspiration came from these uh, architects' um, computerized images. Mm. And what I I wanted to do was say, okay, that's as, as you think it will look. Uh, this is what it actually looks like mm. in the best possible light mm. um, and be as transparent as possible with no judgment involved mm. and just make sure that the image is shot in such a way that there is obviously interpretation, but it's not obvious. It, it's all shot on wide-angle lenses, mm. uh, which obviously, unless you're shooting it straight on, you'd have, you know, yes. lines going all over the place. Absolutely. So I was shooting it straight on from a height, obviously, mm. uh, often, depending on the situation, what height. But um, I could get up to 5 meters 50 on top of my van, on top of a, right. uh, a, a ladder. Yeah. Um, and it is wide angle, so the perspective is slightly different. The Bechers, for example, they were using long lenses, yes. which flatten stuff up. Yes. So it actually makes it look nicer i was using wide angle which do distort but that distortion isn't so obvious no. because they're no you know uh, bendy going, things bendy yeah. things going off <laughs> yeah. yeah um so that was the idea behind that yeah. and I, as so many projects i just started doing it and I was thinking whoa i'm enjoying this yeah and I never thought I would, yeah. you know, but I, I, yeah. I mean, I've got a pet sort of project in my head. I'd love to do, but yeah. is there any standard, is there something going on in your head at the moment that you think, oh, I'd love to do that? 
There are several things. Oh. There are several things. Name um, one. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> I'll tell you why. It's it's not because I'm kind of being secretive or anything. It's because often I do start stuff and then feel I'm not getting anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I have to get into it mm. and spend time on it mm. before I think, yeah, I can spend the next couple of years, two, three, four years doing mm. this. Mm. Um, and then I start showing the work around and then I start looking for, you know, financing it and mm. everything. Mm. Um, to, to, to say, hey, listen, I'm working on this, this and this. No, no, I, w I won't push you. I won't push you. I, I, I went back to China yeah uh last year and i started shooting kind of uh this hinterland thing in some ways but with people uh in color and a totally different kind of um take on it and inshallah if i if i get the the chance um to go back to china and people invite me back I, i'd like to do that yeah mm. uh there are other ideas um that i have to spend some time Yeah, and researching, so, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know that is fantastic. When you when you start reading up stuff and yeah. you think, "Wow, I had no idea this was going on." Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you start meeting the people yeah. involved. Yeah. And then you start taking the photographs, or maybe you're doing this, you know, parallel. Mm. Uh, you know, what, what what better can you do in life than learn? Mm. 